I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. My name is Elon Jacobson, and deal-making is in my DNA. I'll be here each week talking with entrepreneurs and deal-makers about the crazy obstacles they've faced along their paths, and whether it's nature or nurture driving their success. Expect the unexpected on a deal-maker's DNA. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of A Dealmaker's DNA. have a, an exciting uh, podcast for you today. I have someone who I've known for, for quite a few years. Ray, we'll have to figure out exactly how many years that is uh, at some point in this podcast. But I have uh, Raymond Luck. Raymond is a serial entrepreneur and investor. He is the founder of Hockey Stick, a matchmaking system for startups and funders. He's a founder of Flow Ventures, a financial consultancy for startups year one labs and early stage micro VC fund. And he is passionate about entrepreneurship. And if that's not enough, he also lives with his wonderful wife, who is a fashion entrepreneur. So he can't get away from it at home as well. Um, <laughs> so, true statement. so Ray, uh, thank you so much for joining me. I'm looking forward to it. It's been a while since we've uh, connected and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, it, it has been a while. Obviously it's been a while since any of us have really connected. But it's it's great to see you. Great to be uh, a guest on this uh, great podcast. And it's funny you mentioned about L and her companies of L, uh, because we are kind of a household of entrepreneurs. So we we spend a lot of time building our businesses and thinking about this crazy life and trying to find the right balance, not succeeding, dealing with pandemic. So it's it's a bit chaotic, but it's uh, it's a lot of fun. You can't even get away from it in your background. I see a shoe, which I know what your wife does. She she, she designs uh, shoes. Yeah, yeah. Well, sh shoes make a better background than like software, right? So I, I completely it, agree. Uh, Unless you yeah. have the matrix, you know, green yeah. and black uh, letters uh, yeah. flying in your background. So Ray, I touched on you know the the, the things that you're involved with. Maybe just give a, a a deeper explanation of exactly you know what you do on a day to day basis, and then I want to take a a step way back and talk about you know where you got started in, in your journey. I'm full time, two thousand percent focused on on uh, my company Hockey Stick. We're really focused on helping uh, startups uh, connect with funders and and really kind of business partners. Like we we really look at that all the friction that occurs that really is really silly. It really shouldn't occur, right? Like it shouldn't be so hard for a CEO to raise capital or to it's a full time you know, job. Yeah. And or, you know, I think people like brag about how it should be 50% of your job. But I always think, is that a good thing or is that a not good thing? Because wouldn't you rather have your your leadership spending 100% of their job building their business? So we're we're trying to solve some of those problems. So the good news is it's a big, giant global problem, so a lot of room for improvement. And, and we've been using AI and data and all kinds of stuff to try to, to solve that. But the bad news is it's, a, it's not an easy problem to, to, to fix because it's partly behavioral, right? People are used to, oh, but I meet entrepreneurs at my club or at, at, the, at a, a social or at a conference. And the one thing that's changed for us this year is change, right? So none of that's happening. Mm -hmm. So now people the have a still, The world is still continuing. Yeah, it has to, right? That's what I love and I'm sure you love about working with entrepreneurs is, is that in some ways there is no pandemic and there is no recession because- Adaptability, you have to be. Got it. Yeah, you have no choice, right? So we're all surrounded by this energy of 
yeah, we're, we're problem solvers. Great. Huge, big problem. But there's already a hundred other problems also we're trying to solve on a daily basis. So I love that energy, both you know, from my wife, myself, and uh, people like yourself and, and all the founders and entrepreneurs I know. It's been great. So Ray, let's take a step back. Tell me about your childhood. I mean, like I'm always fascinated with finding common observations amongst the people I speak with that led them to the path of entrepreneurship. You know, my podcast is called Dealmaker's DNA. And for what people listening, Ray's never even listened to one of my podcasts. So he doesn't even know really what I'm obsessed with is that idea. Thanks for mentioning that, Elon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now it's pressure to actually listen. What I'm obsessed with is this idea of like nature versus nurture and how much you're born with, how much is bred into you. So tell me about, you know, your childhood and the early part of that, that maybe gives some insight into why you turned into you. You know, my, my parents were immigrants uh, to Canada from Hong Kong. So I'm Chinese. My sister and I were both born here. And I, I start with that because I think that coming from a family of immigrants, I think I'd have to believe, and I have thought about this, that I think that that gave us a certain perspective on hustle. And you know, it wasn't easy, right? Moving to a different country. Um, you know, I remember a story that my mother, who's passed away, unfortunately, but that she um, wrote in a, in a book that sort of her autobiography she wrote that when they moved from Hong Kong to Waterloo, for my, my dad was teaching at the university, they knew so little about Canada that she packed garlic because she thought, well, they probably don't have that there. And so she brought garlic all the way from Hong Kong to this crazy place and they couldn't find Waterloo on a map. There was no internet. How did they land up here? Why was this the destination? Yeah, I think that um, they wanted to find a place where there was more, you know, more economic opportunities for them, more uh, opportunities for the children. I think that's the true for most, if not all, immigrants. So she was a, a teacher, and they're both teachers. My my father taught uh, engineering, so he was a mechanical engineer. So they they wanted new opportunities. Uh, he had already lived in the UK. Uh, where he got his PhD. So, you know, the Commonwealth was kind of a, a friendly destination. And then he got an offer to teach at Waterloo. So you came from your mother and father being teachers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting so, background for someone that turned into a hardcore kind of disruptor entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I think that a big part of our job as entrepreneurs and, and leaders is, is, is teaching, right? Even if we don't always know, you know, even if we're not always certain about everything we're teaching, but, you know, it's, it's really educating, whether it's your market, your customers, your team, you know, ed- teaching is kind of the flip side of sales, right? Especially for uh, new products. But that growing up, it meant that obviously education was achievement and education was mandatory. So there, there was no, you know, education is a nice to have. It was no education is everything you and your sister will achieve this minimum grade point average, or we will kill you. And, uh, you know, I come from a Jewish background. I know exactly what that's like. You know, I, 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 I joke to people that the idea, and, and this might resonate with you. I said, the idea of not going to university was like the going to university was as much a choice to me as going to kindergarten. Yes. Like, I actually, yeah. I, when I grew up and I, and I mean this totally, honestly, I didn't know that university was a choice. I genuinely had no clue. I just thought it was a continuation of school. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it was just sort of like beyond the word expectation. It was just, it was, wasn't even discussed. You know, I, I took a different path because I also grew up playing piano because my, both my parents were musical. So, you know, they gave me two great gifts. I think uh, education being one 
and, and music being the other. So both my sister and I played uh, piano and we just were a, mu- a musical family. So classical well, you're music. You're not helping the stereotype. Of, yeah, you know, you know, of software, <laughs> piano. <laughs> I'll, listen, I'll, I'll try to find ways to break the mold throughout the rest. Of the time, but, but just, just go with me here. Uh, so, so I, I was, you know, but I really fell in love with music. Like my first real calling in life was music, and I remember in high school, really just deciding that I'm an artist and I want to be an artist. So I think the the little exception to your rule about university and and higher ed is when you go to your parents and say, I'm going to go to university, but as a music student, they didn't really like that because it's not really a career path uh, so much as a path to, which ultimately happened, right? was path to another career because there's so few opportunities. But I, you know, so I, I took a different path. I went into, I did my undergrad at McGill in classical music and composition. And, and I, I love that. I mean, that was speaking of DNA setting, I think, you know, being an artist and in particular, like a performance musician. One thing it taught me that I still use to this day is, is the value of repetition. You know, I, I think that's, that's kind of not talked about as much anymore when it comes to our lives and, and things as we like to just be inspired and have these incredible once in a lifetime moments all the time. But one thing that's been really valuable to me as an entrepreneur is just, hey, you're going to have to repeat this over and over and over again so the uh, the ability to grind things out has been really valuable to me. And that that I, I credit to playing piano is thinking back when I started, I couldn't play piano. You practice every day for half an hour and in a very short amount of time, you can play piano, like, you know, to a certain extent. So that, that kind of set my mind to, oh, crap, you can actually learn things. And I think that I've become a lifelong long learner um, starting from a, a young age. But it's one of my favorite things to just learn new things. You know, that idea of repetition is so interesting because people don't love hearing that there is no substitution for experience. And I say this all the time. You know, I'm, I'm 37. And, you know, when I was 25 or 26, like when I started this company, I would have pushed against that. No, 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 no. You could be just inherently talented and figure it out. The reality is that as you get older, you realize how true that statement is, is you know, we, we accept that to build muscle, you have to be repetitive in lifting weights. We accept repetition in so many aspects of our life, yet we like to, especially in the world of tech, where it is a young person's game, there's this ideology that says, you know, anyone could do it. And based on it being a young person's game, it would be counter, you know, counterintuitive to think that it was about repetition. But I, I simply just don't agree. I, I agree with you completely. Yeah, and I mean... In fact, tech is not a young person's game. I think that the, the average age of, of even tech founders is in their 40s globally. I mean, you know, as so I think that... It's not perceived to be that way, though. No, but you're exactly right. That, But I think that the perception is that it's a young person's game, which is not true. And not that I have anything against being a young founder. And, and I was a young founder. You know, I started my first company when I was in, like, when I was 25, which is not even young by other people's uh, young startup uh, founder uh, standards. But I think that there's a there's nothing wrong with being young, inspired, a genius, lucky, whatever, you, you know, whatever works for you. But I think that regardless, there's a huge value, overlooked value in hunkering down, being able to just iterate and learn. And those things don't always happen in big leaps and bounds. It may happen a little bit every day for a year. And, you know, it's the way you learn how to play ping pong. It's the way you learn how to play a mu- uh, musical instrument. And I think there's a lot, whether it's sales or software development or just the craft of the things that we do, 
you know, it, it is interesting how the how we don't talk about that part of building businesses because we care about the big success or the big failure, not that much kind of in, in between. So that's typically what's covered. I love the, uh, you know, it's so interesting. You speak about yourself being an artist and I don't think that term gets utilized enough as it relates to entrepreneurship because in a way, entrepreneurs have to have an artistic mindset, right? That creativity, that nimbleness, that, that you know, that's thriving and under less structure. Talk to me about how, you know, you went to school for the arts. How did you transition? What was that, what was that turning point? It's interesting because, you know, at the beginning you were talking about, tell me about your childhood. So I started thinking back and, and of course there's no linear obvious path, but I started in, even when I was a kid, I was running our garage sales, you know, um, at our church, I was, you know, counting the money. I was involved with kind of the business aspect of things and, and I didn't really know it, but I, I loved it. My parents kind of in between different teaching jobs, they ran some small businesses, you know, tough businesses, you know, they, they didn't succeed, but I saw that and it was so there was some kind of small business kind of lifestyle that was in our childhood. So thinking back, it was like, well, yeah, we lived, we lived above a store for a while. They ran some plumbing stores. And, and so we saw probably as kids didn't really, you know, weren't really sensitive to the stress and anxiety that that definitely caused. But looking back and reflecting on it, it was there. In high school, I ran, I remember taking out this loan from this crazy, totally fiscally irresponsible um, loans from the government. They, they would lend like high school students like $3,000 to start any business. And at the end, you know, if you didn't lose it, you'd pay it back. And so I ran these uh, like high school kind of dances and so we'd rent out a church and we'd sell tickets and I, I, I would DJ and it actually made money. And I was, you know, paid back the loan, had a few dollars. So that was always part of, even when I was a musician, the part I really loved, maybe even thinking back now more than performing, the part I loved was organizing the concert and promoting it and designing the posters and, and all that stuff. So in hindsight, I can see that when I decided to leave music, it was the easiest decision of my life. I mean, even though I'd spent almost 20 years training, I was starting to program. Actually, my last year, I had some extra credits, did some computer science courses, fell in love with programming. And then it was like, well, I'm done as a musician. I love programming. I'm going to start a business. And that was, it was like a non-decision. It's just like, follow your passion. And, and I just, it's like, I fell in love with something new. I didn't necessarily fall out of love with music. I want to go back. You just touched on a point. You said that your parents started some businesses and they failed. I mean, you and I both know, living in the world we live in, that failure is part of the is literally part of the journey to success. How important is failure, in your opinion, and and what is the importance that one should gather from those failures? Yeah, I think that it's such an interesting topic because you know nowadays I think failure, you know, people are talking about it more, but I think there's a little bit of almost like failure marketing now where you can you can talk about your failures, but you can position it in a way that's going to make you look great, you know, self-aware and, you know, I failed, but it really wasn't my fault. And, you know, I think there's a little bit of that, that I see out there. Whereas in reality, failure is, it is absolutely like, there's no, no person who does something more than once that, or starts more than one company that's not going to fail either the company or the many things along the way, a bad hire, bad pitch, a big mistake on your financing, you're, you're going to fail. And the reality is that it hurts, right? It feels like it's, it's an ugly, painful, it hurts. Like, and I think that I want to point that out because it's not just- And it oh, should gosh. hurt. 
It yeah. should, if it doesn't hurt, you're tricking yourself. Yeah. You should let it hurt. Yeah. Like it's that gut wrenching, like, and it's, you know, some people react like they cry, they, they get angry. You know, I think for me, it's always like when I failed, whether it's a business that didn't work out or uh, investment that didn't, I never really cried over that, but you know, whether it's something that I just feel like I just did the stupidest thing in my life, I always feel like ashamed and I feel like, you know what, this proves that I really don't know what I'm doing. You know, this proves that those times, those like really, this really just proves to myself that I really shouldn't be in this arena. I really don't know what I'm doing. And luckily for me, that feeling passes. Um, but down in that pit, it sucks because there's not a lot that can console you because it's just you, you kind of beating yourself up. So I try not to spend that much time in that pit, but I've been there many times. Yeah. And, and, and look, and that's something that people don't talk about enough is that, that insecurity. I mean, you know, I come across as this, you know, type A personality. Like I go through my own insecurities. We all do. And it's important to not put a mask on those, on those, on those insecurities. I mean, anxiety and insecurity, I think are needed. I mean, we have those because we're not psychopaths, right? I mean, you, you can't just think one way. Yeah. And, and this is going back to what we were talking about, about artists, right? The where you meet a real, a true artist, somebody who is all in on, on creativity, whether they're a dancer or a, a painter or a musician, the first thing you see is this feeling of fear because they're trying to do something in their mind. They, they envision this great artistic product, but they're not sure that they can achieve it, right? Whether it's, I'm playing a concert, I'm just not sure whether I'll completely mess up. So I think that that fear of the unknown is something that when you're building something new as an entrepreneur, you need that. That's what tells you that you're doing something worthwhile. If, if you're optimizing for your own comfort and just feeling confident, you're going to end up doing something that everyone else does. There's no risk there. So there can't be a reward. So it's not a bad feeling, just not, doesn't feel good, but I think you can use it to your advantage and you can use it to kind of tell you that, okay, you're feeling uncomfortable here because you're making some promises you're not sure you can keep. You're getting a whole bunch of people into your rowboat. You're paddling upstream, but you yourself as a leader have a little bit of uncertainty of if this is the right direction. That, that kind of fear is okay, right? I think that is, that's what leadership is and, and that's what innovation is. Yeah, and going back to your idea of repetition, the more you put yourself in those situations, the better you can respond when you're in them, right? There is an absolute, like, there is a, a comfort level that you can get in those uncomfortable situations based on repetition. There's no question about it. You know, when I, when I have situations now that, that occur that would have not broken me, but really rattled me when I was younger, I could still feel the fear. I know it's there, but I can handle it far better now. I think that's something that maybe is changing is that as leadership and, and in business is the acceptance that we're human beings. It seems kind of stupid to say it, but it's that we actually have feelings and we have thoughts and anxieties and, and fears and having it be a bit more socially acceptable to talk about it and not have that undermine you as a leader, right? The idea that, hey, my CEO, it's okay that he or she has some struggles and that shows that they're human, but it doesn't make them less, less of a CEO. And I've definitely see that more of this you know, and, and obviously not just the management and the C-level, but everybody that just a greater acceptance that, you know, we're knowledge workers. And in order for you to 
really contribute, we need to accept that there's there's a whole part of the the human being that's not just I'm sitting at my computer typing and that's my output and I'm a robot and at the end of the day I go home and you pay me. So I think especially in what we do now, it's I'd say it's we have a long way to go when it comes to mental health and when it comes to being more accepting of people, but at least more people are talking about it. I want to switch gears a little bit here. Your energy is super interesting to me. You know, you're a you're a very like I've I've spoken to you numerous times and you're very calm, cool, collected. And I speak to some, uh, some, you know, young people that want to be entrepreneurs and they're talking to me and they're saying, you know, but I don't know if I, if I have what it takes, you know, you're this gregarious, outgoing extrovert and I'm not those things. There's this idea and stereotype that a good entrepreneur has to be this outgoing, gregarious type. And there are, I know this for a fact, that there are amazing entrepreneurs that are not those things, that are a completely different energy. A, would you agree with that stereotype? And B, being someone who's probably not as emotional as I am, or at least externally, what would you say to someone who said that? Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I, I agree that that stereotype exists. It's, it's not true. I think that there's no one way to be a leader or to start a company. That's, you know, that's number one thing you learn when you, with repetition, right? And meeting lots of people. It's like, oh, you don't look like, you know, some people think only men can be entrepreneurs, right? That's, so it's, there's a lot more diversity and actual people building actual businesses. We just don't unfortunately hear about them as much. But I think that the, you know, for me, when I was a kid, and this just, it's interesting that you raised this about, you know, because I am definitely more introverted, maybe on that scale, not quite to, I like to sit at home all day. But when I was a kid, I had a fairly bad stuttering problem. So when I was in elementary school, I was terrified to speak. So, you know, when the teacher, you go around the classroom and it's, everyone gets one question. And, you know, I was terrified of that because I was worried that I would stutter in public. And if anyone who's ever even accidentally stuttered, it's kind of embarrassing, but if it's chronic, it's, and you're a kid, kids are not the nicest people in the world. I too with a stutterer as a kid. So I know yeah. exactly how that feels. It's bad. But the way that, so two outcomes that came out of that, that I think about a lot now is one is, is I had to, since I had to avoid certain like hard consonants. So what I would do is I would calculate the question I'd be asked and I would branch in my mind three different ways to answer it without using those consonants. And I did this 24 hours a day in my interactions with people. And I just thought that was normal. But later on, it really helped me with language because I had to be good at language because I always had to find three different ways to say something. So that's one good outcome that came out of it. And the other was, was when I started my first business, even though I was a bit more nervous than the average person would be public speaking and meeting in a boardroom, guess what completely, you know, practically eliminated that problem? Repetition. After a year of, I probably did a thousand presentations, I forgot that I ever had a stuttering problem. Or if I did stutter, it was like, I don't care. I just, I don't have time to be ashamed of stuttering. I have another presentation to do. So it was, it's interesting that, you know, there's some positive things that came out of something that when I was a teenager, I really thought it was a disability. Like, oh man, I'll never make friends and, and talk to people because I have this problem. You know, it's so interesting. The amount of entrepreneurs that I've spoken to that come from a childhood that there was a lot of insecurity is incredible to me. It really resonated with me that, that that idea of being in your head and thinking of ways to say something three different ways. I mean, that anxiety and that insecurity I had as a kid in, a, in different ways. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs that are, you know, it's funny. People say to me, man, you're so quick on your feet. You know that we, didn't, we don't rehearse any questions for this podcast. People say, oh, you're so quick on your feet. 
And I say to them, I say, I don't know if that's true. I think that I'm so anxious that I've been in my head thinking about all the things that you could have possibly said to me in every iteration that I have already thought about my answer. So I'm not so sure I'm quick on my feet as so much as I'm so fucking anxious that I'm prepared. Well, and that's why, I mean, I think that we all have these dreams at night sometimes. Like some people, it's like, I didn't study for the exam and I still have that dream or you know, I'm on stage and I forget the music and I still have that dream. But another one is being put on the spot. And it's, you know, being put on the spot in front of a bunch of people and not not knowing the answer and being shown to be an imposter, right? That's something that I still think about too. You know, but reflecting back based on what we're just talking about, it's, I think it's partly that, because when I was a kid, the idea of being put on the spot and not having the advanced time to figure out all the alternative paths in my language meant that I might have to say something where I was going to stutter. So I think that, you know, looking back, I think that really made that one of my greatest fears. But again, again, after it happens enough times, it becomes less of an issue because if it's your only one time on stage, for example, yeah, you're going to get really nervous. If you have plenty of opportunities, you'll eventually forget about it. And also, if you, I find if you talk about the same topic over and over again, eventually you better, you better be kind of an expert at it. So it's not going to be as surprising as if you ask me about knitting or something I don't know that much about. I know a little about knitting, but not that much. I'm really interested to hear your opinion on this nature versus nurture discussion. You spoke about you being born into a musical family. You come from an immigrant family, and there's guarantee some DNA side of it. But then we also spoke about repetition, and that's very much a nurture-based thing. Where do you fall on, you know, can you be anything you want to be, or are you limited by your genetics? Well, I do believe you can be anything you want to be, regardless of your genetics. I mean, I recognize that, and I think for a lot of founders who, you know, recognize that one thing that allows you to be a founder is your economic background, right? So if I just cut away everything else that you just said and, and say, you know, if you come from a more well-to-do or middle-class wealthy family, you're more likely to be a founder. So I think that's just one example of of kind of advantages that that can help you. So I, I don't want to, to discount that. I'm not really sure about the kind of your actual genes and, and in terms of whether that, um, you know, yeah, I, I don't really have a strong opinion on that part of it. Uh, so I guess that tells you. Because I, I, believe... I, I think we're 80% genetics. Interesting. I, I believe I believe that we are born, like I was born with a certain skill set. Math came incredibly easy to me. You know, the gift of the gab came incredibly easy to me. But you asked me to find the metaphor in a poem. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. But how can you prove that because you only have one, you, know, you only had one way you were nurtured, right? So you don't have the counter argument. I of what it was. And I, I, I don't think it's purely nature. You know, I explain it this way, that there's a tree and you can go up the first branch and it's like math brain, you know, versus artistic brain or whatever that may be. I believe that I land up in a cluster of the tree over here. And in that cluster, there's the bum and there's the billionaire. So all things are possible but I'm not going to land up in this cluster. I'm not going to be an athlete. I'm not going to be, you know, these sorts of things. So I believe that we are very much pre-programmed, but have incredible free will to make of that what we want. Yeah. I mean, I think I believe the opposite. Like, I think that if you're 80, 20 on, on nature, I'm 80, 20 on nurture. You know, I think that it goes back to that repetition thing and that, that kind of lifelong learning that, I think that that we all have more capability to change and do new things, break habits than we think. I think I think we have, and you know, I'm I'm an optimist, right? So you have to be an optimist as an entrepreneur, in my opinion. 
Yeah, he, 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 like we were having this manager meeting and, and Chris, my CTO, said, well, we're all optimists, right? So we're all going to believe much more that things are going to work out than not. And that's a good thing. Otherwise, we wouldn't all be here. But I think I'm an optimist in the sense that, you know, if you tell me that you're not tall enough to be in the NBA, I'll point out lots of people who are, you know, undersized and they're in the NBA. And the same as you said, you know, yes, they're going to have certain advantages and disadvantages. But I always believe that in spite of that, your willpower and your your kind of hustle, your hard work are going to get you there and are going to mean a lot more than your natural gifts. And you see this in, in, in tennis, right, where, you know, people who have the, the right tennis body and from the right pedigree, and then you see somebody who's like shorter, stockier, and it just has, like I think of Bianca and Andriscu, and I think of, you know, the one thing, she's an you know, amazing tennis player, won the US Open, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when I watch her play, I think the one thing that comes across to me is just she has this grit, this determination, this outlook on, I'm going to win. And I don't think that that is her, her genetics. I think that's her you know, her upbringing, I think that's her own willpower and personality. Uh, Unless grit is a part of your, 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 your genome. I mean, that's, I I know a lot of the determined people that come from very determined parents. And again, is that a lineage of nurture versus nature? You know, you can argue both. And, you know, to the NBA example, I could show you a lot more NBA players that are over six, five. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think the point I'm trying to make is I'm not trying to optimize on like the most NBA players. I'm, I'm trying to think of the personal, right? For you, and if I'm talking to somebody who says, this is my genetic background and my, my, my upbringing, what are my options? My answer would be the same, all, all options. But what are you going to do about it? And, and that's just coming from somebody who, you know, I've changed careers. Actually, when I started my first company, I, was, I knew zero about business and I was a programmer. So I learned by being a software developer but I had to learn, let's say, accounting by using QuickBooks. And I had to learn business by, by doing it. I had no, no skill there, uh, no latent uh, abilities. I had to go learn it. And it was tough. But I, I do, you know, against my optimist, I think that people are capable of anything. So, Ray, before I let you go, you know, you've been a leader for a while now. And you've, you've obviously worked with, with young, hungry, inspired entrepreneur types. Are there certain pieces of advice that you would give? There's a lot of younger entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. Is there something that you'd want to leave them with as some piece of advice that they should take to better themselves? Yeah, I think the, you know, the best piece of advice somebody gave me was, to paraphrase, it was kind of just shut up and focus. And what the person actually said was, you know, you're so smart, but you just haven't been like, financially successful yet. And this was like the probably the best thing anyone ever said to me because it cut through all the bullshit of building companies and philosophy of this, philosophy of that. It just kind of said, just shut up, focus on what you know is your goal. And if you're, I'm not saying, you know, financial success is necessarily anyone's goal or, or an entrepreneur's goal, but basically just said, focus on the thing that you yourself have said is important to you and forget everything else. Almost to answer your question, it's almost forget all the other advice. You know what you need to do, go do it. And that was the most helpful thing that somebody said to me probably in the last 20 years. I love that. You know, it's funny. My, my friends that are having kids for the first time, they say to me, you know, well, what's, what's a piece of advice I can give you that you can give me? And I said, the only piece of advice I will give you is listen to no one's advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I completely agree with you. And there's a whole kind of, you know, startup industrial complex of advice now, right? This sort of 
call them like hustle porn and is sort of self-help meets entrepreneurship meets. And, and I, I think it's all most, it's, it's mostly bullshit and where it's not bullshit, it's just a distraction and it's not something that's going to move the needle for you unless you're focusing on what you know is important. If you're focusing, then it's great to learn. So I'm not saying don't learn, but I think a lot of people think, well, if I just get all the advice and then I kind of average it out, that's going to give me my path. And that's the absolute best way to destroy your business. You'll land up in the average. That's exactly where you'll end up. No, that's great, Ray. I think that's a perfect place to end this. Thank you so much for for joining me. And for those that want to uh, follow along in your path, What's the best way that they can uh, keep tabs on, uh, on what you're up to? Thanks. It's great to be here. You can follow me on LinkedIn. You just have to look up Raymond Look, L-U-K. And I'm on Twitter at Ray Look, R-A-Y-L-U-K as well. And I apologize for saying luck earlier. I, I never know what to say. So. <laughs> <laughs> you did great. You did great. Yeah. So, so again, thank you very much. And until next time. Cheers. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed what you heard, rate us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time on A Dealmaker's DNA, where you can expect the unexpected.